Chapter 39, Tapante National Park, Costa Rica, Search for the Red-Fronted Parrotlet I walked up to the bus stop and bought a ticket for the five-hour ride to San Jose before getting a couple of pastries and a cup of tea from the bakery. It was a long ride with little legroom. We stopped halfway for twenty minutes and I sat in the sun, basking in the warmth I hadn't felt in days. My fears about walking through San Jose soon dissipated when I saw how different it was from other Central American capitals. The only one I dare to say that you wouldn't go as far as calling a shithole. I had taken my usual precaution and copied out a map from my guidebook into a little notebook so I wouldn't be stood on a street corner looking like an easy target. There were a few dodgy characters around as I walked through the streets. One guy asked me for change in English and started following me, obviously up to no good. If there's one thing that I can do though, it's walking fast, and pretty soon he gave up the chase. I took a bus to the nearby town of Cartago. I had twenty minutes before the bus to the village of Orosi left, so I nipped into the cafe for some rice, beans and chicken. I seem to have been eating a lot of beans and bananas recently, and have the gas to prove it. Orosi seemed like quite a friendly place, and I checked into a nice hostel. There was a communal area with tables and chairs, and there was even a hummingbird feeder that regularly had a rufous-tailed hummingbird coming to it. I heard from the nice Canadian guy in the dorm, called Scott, that Tapanti National Park I had planned to visit had been cut off by a landslide the day before, and his friends had been stuck there overnight. I was curious though, so I thought I'd go and check it out just in case it was possible to get in. It was 12 kilometers away, and I wasn't sure if there was any public transport, but I didn't think it would be too difficult to hitch. I left the hostel at 6am. The gardens on the way out of town were very birdy, as were the coffee plantations outside of town. I probably walked about five kilometres in the refreshing light drizzle when a coffee truck stopped to pick me up without me even putting my thumb out. I climbed in the back and peered over the side at the misty valley and the overflowing rivers. Apparently it had been raining constantly for the last couple of weeks. The truck went all the way to where the landslide had occurred. One look and I knew I wouldn't be able to cross it without risking my life. I think the landslide had diverted the course of the river as it was now in full flow across the road. I didn't want to see the birds that badly. I took a couple of pictures and started walking back in the ever-increasing drizzle. The coffee plantation workers were just starting to pick in their bright yellow waterproofs and all smiled and greeted at me when I walked past. The same coffee truck was heading back along the road and picked me up. There was another reserve on the way back called Montes Sky, which I'd read about in the guidebook. It said that there was good birding. I saw the sign and banged as hard as I could on the side of the truck. I followed the steep gravel trail up the hill, which had a coffee plantation on one side and a forested valley on the other, both of which were quite birdy. In the plantation I saw the really attractive white-eared ground sparrow hopping around. Way ahead I could see what looked like another birder, and after half an hour of steady birding I caught up with him. I assumed that it'd be American, but he turned out to be Tico, a Costa Rican, called Jorge, who was a bird guide. It was a fairly new reserve and he was still carrying out some baseline surveys. He spoke English well and seemed to know his birds, but I probably pointed out as many birds for him as he did for me. One of the best birds was a prong-billed barbet, which we heard the distinctive calls of lower down. It was a long way to the top of the hill, and the house that was used as a visitor centre. It was the cheapest reserve I'd been to so far, and was just three dollars to get in. From the house, trails led through the cloud forest, where I saw some interesting birds, like the white-tipped sicklebill hummingbird with its long bent bill. I followed a trail up towards a waterfall where the drizzle got heavier and joined with the spray of the water crashing on the rocks. I saw two black guans flapping up into a tall tree. 
The mist was thicker here, and the 50-metre waterfall looked wonderfully mysterious. I tried to get a few shots with my camera, but it seems to be nearing the end of its days. My girlfriend will be bringing my new one in just a few days. Not soon enough. By the early afternoon, the bird activity had really dropped off, so I set off back down the hill. Hitching back was as easy as it had been in the morning with the first truck that passed, stopping without even me asking. Costa Ricans are really some of the friendliest and kindest people I've met. Even in the big cities, people always smile and say hello. In the garden when I got back, I saw even more birds, including a clay-coloured thrush. I'd got quite muddy during my walk and had a nice long hot shower and washed my clothes. I wrote up my bird notes and I found that I'd seen 76 species with 13 lifers that day. My best day's birding I've had in many weeks. I was looking through my bird book in the nice communal area of the hostel and an older American chap called Romy invited himself to sit down with me for a chat. He was a birder too and seemed quite impressed with my bird list for the day. He asked me if I'd mind if he accompanied me the next day. Not at all. My bed only had three slats and was one of the most uncomfortable I've ever slept in. I couldn't sleep past 4am. When I got up, I stuffed some bread in my mouth and called it breakfast. Romy was up already and offered me half of his melon and a bowl of cereal. As I'd agreed to guide him for the day, he said he would shout for a taxi. We walked down to the football pitch next to the old church where the red four-wheel drive taxis normally wait. There weren't any there though, so we started walking along the road, hoping a bus might come along soon. It did in just a few minutes and took us as far as a power station, about halfway along. Romy paid, of course. From there, the first truck to come along stopped automatically, and we arrived at the bottom of the road before 6.30am. The previous day had been overcast with a nice refreshing drizzle. Today was blue skies and looked like it was going to get hot, which meant a shorter birding day. If it's overcast, birds can stay active all day, but with the bright sunshine, the bird activity drops off early. There were plenty of common birds around, like the black-headed saltator, but we still had a few goodies. A big broad-winged hawk with rusty bars across its front was perched on top of a pine tree just 30 metres away. Then came a real treat. In the forest, a rare bicoloured hawk perched less than 10 metres away from me. It was fairly small and had a grey front with bright rufous feathers around its legs. We were extraordinarily lucky, and I should have got an awesome photo. My camera appeared to have died, though. I tapped it, knocked it, banged it, punched it, but the picture wouldn't flick back on. The hawk stared down at me inquisitively. When I started getting violent with the camera, it decided to make itself scarce and was gone in a flash. We bought our tickets from the chap that worked there. He'd passed us on the way up with his son on a pony, following with its foal trotting behind trying to keep up. The forest was, of course, beautiful, and Romy really liked the waterfall, but it was a bit of a slow day for birding. It picked up a bit on the way down, and we started to get a half-decent list for the day. I had dinner with Romy at a cheap local restaurant called El Nido, after which I went to catch up on my diary and sat with Scott and Michelle, a Canadian couple in my room. I was really tired after all this socialising. I'd stolen some blankets and laid them down on my bed so it would be more comfortable, and I fell into a deep sleep. My girlfriend was flying into Costa Rica, so I left Orosi to go and meet her. San Jose wasn't a particularly great place to stay. Lots of pickpockets and potential for armed robbery. Just two kilometers away from the airport, though, is a large town called Alajuela, where I planned to stay the night so I could get to the airport early the next day. I arrived early, but of course the flight was late. Most of the passengers had come out, and I started worrying that she hadn't been let in. When she appeared in front of me, I hardly recognized her. She ran to the exit, which was crowded with taxi drivers pestering us. 
We went back to the hotel and I opened the new camera she'd bought for me, which looked great and I couldn't wait to try using it. The following day we took a bus to San Jose and then on to Cartago and finally Orosi. When we got back to the hostel we greeted a few people. Scott and a few others were planning on a trip to Tapanti the next day and we went to buy a few supplies. There was going to be Scott and Michelle from Canada, also a French-Canadian birdwatcher called Christina, a German guy, two Americans and a Norwegian girl. Two taxis came at 6am and we split into two groups of four. The park guard was still half asleep when we arrived and he said we could buy our tickets on the way out. We arranged times for the taxis to come and pick us up, one at 10.30 for the non-birders and the other at 1.30pm for the diehards. I wasn't very happy about walking in a group of eight but it turned out not to be a problem. I dropped straight to the back as did Scott and the Canadian girl. The only others really interested in birds. We walked along together with me identifying all the birds for them. As I pointed each one out, Christina would highlight them in their brand new birds of Costa Rica with a luminous green pen. I saw a couple of new species of hummingbirds, which is always nice, but otherwise it was a pretty slow morning. No blue and gold tanagers or red-fronted parrotlets, which were the species I'd come all the way back to try and find. We walked down a trail to the river where I spotted an American dipper upstream on a rock. It was a nice walk though, and I enjoyed passing on some of my knowledge to the others. We were all pretty tired when we got back. I rarely visit a place just once for bird watching. You invariably see different species on your second day of birding, and I still hadn't seen either of my target species. Yesterday we'd taken a taxi, but today I would save money and try and hitch. A bus went the first three kilometers of the 12 to the park, and after that it was really easy to get a couple of lifts. My last ride took me to about two kilometers from the park entrance, and I saw some good birds on the way in. I paid my $6 to get into the park and started birding my way up the hill. A car passed me fairly soon and pulled up a little way ahead. A tall bearded middle-aged foreigner got out and started peering up at the trees through his binoculars. I could tell at a glance that he was a serious birder. As I got close, he asked me forwardly, What is your country? And are you a birdwatcher? When he was sure of my credentials, he instructed me that we will birdwatch together. Of course he was German. I spent the morning with this wacky guy called Tino, who was actually the author of a bird book, a list of the birds of the world in German. He actually lived in Ecuador, and I decided to befriend him as he would be a useful contact when I got there. It was slower birding than the previous day, and I acted as a guide, identifying the birds that I have come to know so well. There was still no sign of either of the birds I had come to see. At midday, the constant drizzle of the morning turned into rain, and we decided to call it a day and go for lunch together in Orosi. My girlfriend was feeling better when I got back, and we went food shopping together. I'd finished my birding at Tapanti, but we wanted to check out a natural hot spring a few kilometers away. We walked together through a coffee plantation and down to a beach next to the river, where I saw a beautiful green heron and a little black and grey torrent terrenulate, which was hopping from rock to rock. Further along, a stream of hot water trickled down into a pool created by a dam of rocks and sandbags. I thought we would have the pool to ourselves, but there was a couple of Tico guys there with tattoos lying in the shallow water with their mountain bikes lying on the rocks nearby. We changed into our swimming costumes and got into the tiny pool to the side of the main one with at least a bit of privacy. The water in the pool was little more than tepid, but in the cool of the drizzly afternoon it felt nice and warm. The Ticos left after having a short conversation in English with me, leaving us all alone. The valley looked really beautiful from the pool. We lay in a foot-deep warm water with a refreshing drizzle on our faces, breathing in the fresh mountain air. It started getting a bit late, so we started our walk back. The next day, we were moving on to our next site.